Thank you for tuning in to the podcast of our Wednesday night study entitled A Study of Prayer based on the book How to Pray by Ronnie Floyd. Since this is a discussion-based study, we have edited out the comments made by those in attendance due to the fact that they do not have a microphone. May you draw closer to God each day in your prayer life. Lesson 15, Part 2, The Wall of Improper Motives. Let's, let's do one more lesson uh, in fact, concluding a lesson <clears throat> uh, on prayer that we've been studying. If you're joining us uh, and haven't been with us or just coming in for the first time after a while, for the last several months we've been studying a study on prayer. It came from a book that, uh, that is based, based in prayer, what prayer is about and how we accomplished godly prayer, written by Ronnie Floyd, who... Uh, has been a pastor for many, many decades and is now one of the primary movers of the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, a great man of God. I've, I've been able to meet him along the way. Uh, just a great man of God. So uh, we are at a Lesson 15. We actually started Lesson 15 the last time that we met together. And we're going to conclude Lesson 15 tonight. So let me kind of give you a, a, a catch-up as to where we are. Uh, tonight we're going to be talking about barriers to godly prayer. And the lesson is entitled, The Wall of Improper Motives. One of the great barriers to prayer is the wall of improper motives. Now, we started this lesson uh, it's been several weeks ago now. We were going to carry on, and the electricity was out one night. Then we had a special program one night, and then I was away last week. So it's been several weeks ago. But the last time that we met discussing this lesson, uh, the wall of improper motives uh, in our prayer life, being a barrier to prayer. Tonight, as we pick up that to finish, here's where we started. The church faces dangerous change in these Days in these modern days. Today, the church can be consumer or customer driven. What does that mean? The church is largely seen as what can this organization do for me? What will I receive from the church? If I become a member of this particular church, what will I receive? It's uh, it's the, it's, it's the, the buyer mentality of what am I going to get if I'm a part of this organization? What will I get out of that? Uh, what will the church do for me rather than what can I do for the Lord through the church? That's a completely different mindset, isn't it? What am I going to get out? Now, obviously, we, we want to, to, to get something from being a part of the church. I, absolutely. But... That's not, that's not the absolute goal of why we're here. This is the ministry arm of Jesus Christ. And so that means that all of us as believers are tying into the ministry arm with the particular talents that you have that nobody else in the church has so that we can be a well-rounded ministry that goes out into the world to bring the world to Jesus Christ. So yes, we do want something from the church for ourselves and for our family, but that's not the end of the reason we're here. We're here to unite with a ministry team to take Jesus out of here into the world. So when we gather as a worship service or a prayer meeting, it's not the end of why we gather. It's the beginning of going out into the world knowing that we are, number one, together, walking arm in arm in ministry, and we have each other's backs, and we have the power and the passion of Jesus Christ driving us into the world that we can bring the world to Jesus. So... 
at its, at its beginning point, the church is to be an outreach for Jesus. We are His ministry arm into the world, just as He was telling His disciples, and we're right at this point in the study of John. Uh, in fact, I'm working on a sermon right now with this central point where Jesus says, I'm going away. I'm not going to be with you physically forever. Uh, we're not going to have this relationship that you're going to be walking physically with me, but when I go away to, to, to be back reunited with my Father, you are going to take over where I'm leaving off. You are going to be my arms and my feet and my mouthpiece in this world, disciples. You're carrying on physically after I'm gone. And I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be living in you. I'm going to be a part of your life, but you're representing, you're witnessing for me. That's the, that, was, that was what Jesus told his disciples 2,000 years ago, and we are in that chain that today is our day to do that. It didn't stop when the disciples died. The church is in existence carrying on that same chain of calling and passion to take the gospel into the world. So yes, we're here for the church to give us something. And I love the connection of brothers and sisters and worshiping together and being family together. That's, that's what I get. But that's not the end of the game. What do I give? And, and Ronnie Floyd in this book says, the American church is turning away from what can I give to being only what can I get. And that's a dangerous place for the church to be. We have to keep that mentality that we're going to go out of these doors as a witnessing missionary force for a living Savior who is calling us to bring the world to Jesus. So what can we do through and for the church? Let me read you a quote that, that uh, was a part of the study last time. If a Christian does not have his or her needs met in a church, now this is this give, give me, always give to me mindset, then he or she will just move on to greener pastures. It's like the old service station concept. Christians pull into the church. They sit in their car. They're waited on in every way. Then they drive away only to return when they need help again. If the service does not meet their expectations, they will then change service stations. Uh, that's the mentality of what can I get. And if you start at church, if you start falling short in giving me what I need then I'll just move on somewhere else. And that's the mentality that can begin to drive the church if we're not very careful, if we're not following the Lord. We can lose outreach to others. Okay, let's tie that in now with where prayer comes to be a part of our life and our ministry. If we see a gravitation toward more self-centeredness in the church, we'll also see it in our prayer life. Self-centeredness in our prayer life. The serve me attitude limits our full view of what God expects of us and, and creates us to do as his people. Uh, here's the danger of our culture. Uh, he is more seen as a spiritual Santa Claus uh, who exists only to meet our needs. Uh, and I've explained, and I, I like that, you know, a spiritual Santa Claus. That's, we're just here to sit on his lap and tell him what we need and expect that he's going to fulfill it. Another way that I see it is how many of you know, without looking around, how many of you know where the, where the uh, fire extinguishers are, are in this sanctuary? Fire extinguishers. They've never been used, praise God, 
in this sanctuary. So that means we've never needed them. But the moment a fire would break out in here, there would be a great mass movement to those fire extinguishers to get help. Sometimes I think that's exactly the way a lot of people see God. I don't need you till there's a fire in my life. I don't need you until there's a problem that you can solve for me. Uh, And too many Christians see God as a fire extinguisher, and He is not that at all. Uh, so, So since we are His children, God... Again, through this consumer mentality, God is here uh, to, to make us rich and comfortable and non-challenged and victorious. We have a prosperity gospel that we need to preach. Uh, and God wants us to be comfortable, but God doesn't expect us to be challenged when we come to worship, when we come to His church. Since we are His children, we are to expect a life of leisure. Okay, I'm going to open that up. What do you think about that? How true is it? You know, he, he says His yoke is easy and His burden is light. But it is a yoke and it is a burden. But the reason it's easy and the reason it's light is because He is with us to give us the strength to bear it. But He never, ever said you can expect a life And that is, this is absolutely where society is going. I don't know about you, but I felt entirely uncomfortable getting $2,800 from the government. I I felt entirely uncomfortable getting something that I did not earn. But that's exactly where we have to be on guard and careful in the ministry of the church. Is that we need to be working in the kingdom of God. Uh, we can't see ourselves as people of leisure. Uh, we, we're, not, we're not just here to sit on the pew. We're, we're here to be active in the work. I, I will say, uh, I'm so proud, I'm so grateful, I'm so thankful to be a part of this body. I, I think we weathered the pandemic in a very healthy way. We took care of one another. Uh, you may know that I, I don't know of one case of COVID, there are many people who had it within our congregation, but I don't know of one case that came from our congregation in worship. Um, and I'm, I'm thankful, but God had allowed us not only just to, to get through it. We didn't just put our head down and bury our head in the sand and get through it, but the church continued to work. Church continued to minister, and I'm so proud of that, to be a part of that kind of people that, that continued to work. Uh, Coming back to the truth of who God is. He is sovereign, the rule of the universe. He does not need us to complete His existence. We are a creation of love for Him, but we don't complete Him. Uh, He is holy. Uh, He does not look on sin. He will not tolerate laziness in His kingdom's work. He will not tolerate an attitude of I'll worship you and I'll serve you as I please and as I choose. God is the ruler, not us. Amen? God is the ruler. And he is omniscient and he knows all recesses of our heart. So we, we can't pretend that we don't pray in unselfish ways. We have to lay unselfishness, uh, we have to lay selfishness aside uh, to pray unselfishly. Because if our heart is not right with him, he knows it. There's no fooling him. Um, so 
God gives us a word about improper motives in prayer. Here's a scripture verse I want you to turn to, underline. Uh, it is James in your New Testament, the book of James, chapter 4. If you get to the, book of, the big book of Hebrews, keep going. One more book, you'll get there. James, chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. I'll give you a minute. James 4, 3 and 4. Here's the word of God through James, the half-brother of Jesus. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. So notice what James says, that the reason prayer doesn't get answered is because you ask it in the wrong way. You ask it spending it on yourself uh, rather than in proper ways. Now notice that he says uh, that you spend it on your own lusts. Maybe some of your translations have the word pleasures. Uh, it, it is not, a, not necessarily a sexual term completely, but it certainly includes sexuality. A lust is anything for which we have a strong desire. The Greek word for lust is hedone. Uh, we get the word hedonism from that word. Uh, Self-pleasure, centered on me, what I need, filling my wants. And Ronnie Floyd, the author of the book, says that American culture is committed to the God of hedonism. Uh, you know, making yourself the center of the universe. Uh, I, I think probably we could discuss that a bit. But I, I, I know that we agree that there is certainly a truth in that. There's hedonism in our culture. Look at yourself. Look at what you need. You need this car. Uh, you need this uh, particular item. You need this alcohol. You need whatever it is to complete your life because you're the important one. Uh, and it's central to our advertising. So we have to be on guard that the church doesn't center itself on us, but rather that we keep an eye open and ears open to the world outside of these doors. Uh, it's not so much all about our pleasures and our desires as a congregation. It's about going into the world where there are needs and where there are hurts and where there are people who need the Savior. Uh, at the center of the church's life is a Lord Jesus Christ, who not only taught sacrifice, but lived sacrifice. Uh, and we are to be an organization that is sacrificial in nature, and that is entirely against the culture we live in. So we have to be different than our culture. Uh, and in, in some respects, it makes us stand out like a sore thumb. In some respects, it, it, it invites uh, criticism as to who the church is. But if we're going to follow our Savior, then sacrifice and giving of ourselves is central to who we are. It's not a, so much about us. It's about a lost world and how we take Jesus there. So we get our hands dirty and we reach out to others. Well, to, to develop a church where the sole goal is personal happiness with no sacrifice is a tragedy. And it is a sin. That prosperity gospel is a dead end. There's not truth in it. Uh, and it's, if, if we feel like all we're going to do is go to church for what we can get, it becomes a wall 
to prayer and, and prayer that is blessed by God. So let me qualify this a bit. Uh, is it wrong to pray for your personal needs? Absolutely not. You are to bring your needs before the Lord. You're to bring uh, your hurts and your problems and your joys and your praises before God. Uh, but it becomes wrong. Here's where the prayers become wrong. When we disregard the will of God or the needs of others, looking only at how God is going to take care of us uh, individually or collectively. Uh, you, you see, our will does not manipulate the will of God. We pray for His will. His will is the highest concern of prayer. Not praying for what I want, but, pray, but praying to be surrendered to His will and how He's going to use you and me in the gospel work. So here's three questions, and I'm getting close to, to the end so we can pray together. But here are three questions to ask yourself about your proper motive of prayer. Here's question number one. Why am I asking God for this? The heart of prayer is not what you ask for as much as why you ask. What's the motive of your prayer? Do I ask for something so that my will will be accomplished, so that my pleasures will be fulfilled, or I get what I want so I can be more comfortable, or do I pray so God can work out His healing and His direction and His will in the situation for which I'm praying at that moment? Are you surrendering to Him or begging for yourself? Uh, why do I ask God for this thing? And if you ask yourself that question, why am I asking for this? It will give direction to your prayers. Here's the second question you ask yourself regarding the motive of prayer. Am I willing to lay aside my will so God's will can be done? In other words, are, am I willing, if this is God's will, am I willing to hear him say no to me? Or am I willing to hear him say, you wait now? We, we usually pray wanting to hear a yes. You know, I love being a granddaddy. But, but most of the time, the requests are a requirement to, to say yes. <laughs> can I have this? Well, sure you can. <laughs> can I have this candy before Grandma puts a meal on the table? Yeah, if you don't tell her, you can. <laughs> I love this grandparent thing. But that, sometimes we pray in that way. God, give me what I want. Uh, so, so the second question, can I lay aside my will so that God's will will be accomplished, even if he tells me no to that request? Jesus was clear that his will was not the controlling factor to his prayers. Of course, the primary example, as he faced the cross, Garden of Gethsemane, when he said, take this cup away from me, Father, but not my will, but thine be done. There's, there's the gold standard. Facing the cross, Jesus didn't want to go there. He's the Son of Man, He's the Son of God. Humanly, Jesus did not want to suffer on the cross. But He said, but it's not my will that's important, Lord. It's your will. I'll go if you tell me to. So there's the gold standard. God doesn't let your will or my will determine the outcome of prayers. He wants His will to be done. Here's the third question about motive of prayer. Is my main concern that God will get the glory? when the outcome of this prayer is met. When the outcome of the prayer comes, well, I give God the glory. The first goal of our prayers is that God gets the credit for the answer, whatever that answer might be from His will. Uh, even when the answer is no or wait, 
Give him the glory for his wisdom being carried out, his will being done, because you know it is. So the, the wall of improper motives has to come down before our prayers can go up. Praying for his will, surrendering to his will, willing to sacrifice to meet his will in our life, and willing to sacrifice as a church. Uh, you know, I, these are nice soft cushions, and the air conditioning is nice tonight. But the question is, what will we do when we leave here? How will we get our hands dirty when we leave here to be the people of God? Will we be surrendered to his will? I uh, pray we will. Uh, and it's a decision that each one of us has to make on our own uh, as we work out our salvation with fear and trembling that we truly surrender to the will of God in our life and collectively as a church. So that, that concludes the lesson. And we're going to move into prayer right now. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you will join us on our next podcast.